and welcome to this Derive Source podcast, Living the Trade Life Cycle. I'm Julie Schiefer, the founder and editor of DerivSource.com. One of the many regulations that derivatives market participants are focused on this year is the second phase of the CFTC position limit rules that come into effect January 2023. So just less than a year away, really. Now, while some of our listeners may have been actively involved in the first implementation phase of these rules earlier this year, this second phase has new specifications and operational hurdles these firms need to manage. And in this episode, I have with me FIA Tech's Justin Hasnett and Andrew Costello, who are going to be shedding some light on how firms can firstly harness data to comply with the new position rules, and secondly, ensure that these firms are making reasonable, good faith effort determinations of the economic equivalence of an OTC swap compared to any of the 25 core reference future contracts. Welcome to the podcast, Andrew and Justin. Glad to be here. Pleasure. Thank you, Julia. So before we begin, I'd love for each of you to introduce yourselves to our audience, starting with you, Andrew. I'm Andrew Casello, head of reference data at FIA Tech. I'm responsible for our reference data strategy and oversee our global operations team for DataBank. I joined the firm back in 2019 with the main focus of expanding our reference data services and working with the industry to resolve data and operational inefficiencies. Prior to FIA Tech, I wore many different hats at a large investment bank from reference data, robotic process automation, brokerage, and OTC settlements. Hey, everyone. This is Justin Hasnett here on the FI Tech team. I'm the senior manager for data bank operations here. And really in this role, I look over a number of different reference data initiatives, which are utilized across the industry today, including the position limits data bank, which is the primary focus for today, as well as similar data sets on exchange fees, acceptable collateral information, and even broker code information across the board. So again, pleasure to be here. Thanks, Julia. Thank you both, Justin and Andrew, for joining us. So I want to start with an overview to really give our audience that background in case some of them are not familiar with these particular rules. So starting with you, Justin, can you briefly give our audience an an overview of the CFTC position limit rules? Absolutely. I I think as a bit of background here on the CFTC position limit, this is actually a regulation that's been kicking around for roughly a decade or so at this point. But Right there at the tail end of 2020, the CFTC voted in favor of approving the final rule in regards to establishing position limits across several major products. So for folks who may not be familiar with the limits in general, these are maximum thresholds which are established to limit the number of derivatives contracts that can be owned by any one person or group and really set to curb excessive speculation in these markets, prevent derivatives from being used to exercise control over a particular market, because really this can result in sudden or unreasonable fluctuations in the price of the underlying commodities. And while these limits are generally established at the exchange level, with this regulation, the CTC has determined that there are 25 futures contracts where the commission believes that establishing limits themselves was deemed necessary. These are referred to as the core reference contracts. And as of January 2022, the CTC established limits on those core reference contracts, as well as a price link contracts to those core reference ones, and subsequently published a list of that initial scope on the website as well. And again, that ETD component all kicked in at the beginning of this year, January 2020. An upcoming component to this rule we haven't touched on yet is that the rollout of this regulation was designed to be staggered, where that previously mentioned 
core referenced and linked product scope at the ETD level. While that kicked in at the beginning of this year, a newly introduced component pertaining to including economically equivalent swaps along with those features and options in that limit aggregation calculation is set to kick in in January 2023. So we'll be sure to touch on that further in this discussion. And going into a little bit more detail there, I understand that there are three key elements of this regulatory framework for the federal speculative position limits. Can you briefly explain the three elements? That's right. Yeah. As you mentioned there, there are three primary components to this new rule in regards to the first being contract limits themselves, the second being exemptions from those limits, and the third pertaining to account aggregation. For the purposes of this discussion, we won't be touching too much on the exemption component or the account aggregation considerations, but really at a very high level. On the exemption side, there are three general exemptions from the federally set position limits, and they fall under bona fide hedging transactions or positions, spread transactions, as well as financial distress positions. And on the account aggregation side of things, the commission has actually adopted what's called the aggregation of position rule, right? And this generally requires aggregation of positions in the case of accounts with common ownership, control, identical trading strategies, right? And there are eight general exemptions from this account aggregation rule. So really, if these are of interest, we do encourage folks to check out the CGC's guidance on these matters for, for a bit more detail on how that shakes out. Now, as far as the contract limits component is concerned, the limits established by the commission on the impact of products are established on three general timeframes, spot, single month, and all months. Spot months can be considered the most variable, and they actually impact all of the contracts in scope of this regulation. And generally, they come into effect at a certain interval before a contract. So this can mean that, let's say for the last five trading days before a contract expires, a spot month limit could be in effect, and every kind of contract in scope can vary on that time frame. Single month refers to a limit on a single contract month expiry. Let's say just the September 2022 contract, for example, and all months refers to a limit applicable to all contract months combined. So the limits established by the CTC are effective for all ETD contracts across exchange that are linked to a core reference product, as well as the core reference products themselves. And they're aggregated separately by physically delivered and cash settled contracts. And again, as mentioned in that January 2023 phase two of that regulation, those economically equivalent swaps are also set to aggregate with those core reference products on the ETD side as well. Thank you, Justin. Now that we've really outlined the rules that are coming into force in January, giving our audience that background into the rules as well, Andrew, what are the challenges that market participants really face in complying with these requirements as they are starting to prepare for this new deadline? Can you outline those challenges for us? Yeah, absolutely. The challenges are really threefold, focused on scope, program, and approach. One of the biggest and most obvious challenges is just understanding if the scope of the products as part of this new regulation impacts market participants. Firms will need to know if they're actively trading these contracts and in what quantity. The second focus on the program is is making sure that that compliance monitoring teams have the correct logics and programs to evaluate positions being held in these products to ensure they're in compliance with the rules. How accurate are the limits? Where are they sourced from? How frequently do they change? How do they aggregate into other products? And the last part, approach. What's really going to be especially important is to establish a mechanism to determine economically equivalence of those swap positions to determine whether they should or should not be included with the ETD positions in the aggregation calculation. So this equivalent element is really 
going to be potentially the biggest stumbling block, do you think, for market participants as they prepare for January 2023? As part of the CFTC rules, it's very broad and being able to define what makes a swap economically equivalent, what is the definition around that, whether it's looking at various different attributes around the contract, the underlying commodity, and attributes as part of that product itself is still up in the air. And what we're really trying to do is provide clients with a tool to be able to identify these. And the issue that we're going to run into in the industry is everyone having a similar approach of identifying what products do fall in scope and which ones do not. Okay. Thank you. Excellent point. Sticking with you, Andrew, a little bit longer, can you tell me a little bit about how you see firms planning to comply with these new rules and requirements? What is their common approach that they would take to ensuring that they can comply in time? Yeah, I think the first thing is ensuring they have a reliable source of position limit data, especially for the core reference ETD contracts that went into effect earlier this year. Most firms on the street are utilizing data vendors to source this information and have built entire programs around interpretation and consumption of this data into their operating platforms. Additionally, firms are opening up communication between their compliance teams, legal, and the CFTC to really understand the scope and the rules associated with this new regulation. Like I said, the the hardest part is going to be making a determination if a swap is deemed economically equivalent and subject to the limits. The CFTC considers swaps to be equivalent if they have identical material specifications and terms and conditions to a reference contract. This could be that underlying commodity, the maturity dates, and so on. But the point being is that firms really need to understand the rules, understand a program, and have a standardized approach on how they're going to identify these products that do fall in the scope. Let's move on to talk a little bit about FIA Tech's data bank. Andrew, can you tell me a little bit about the role of data bank and how this can offer assistance to firms as they work to prepare for these rules? Absolutely. Data bank is FIA Tech's reference data function that covers a range of data solutions in exchange-traded derivatives world, ranging from contract specifications to compliance static and analysis. The most relevant for the discussion today is our position limit data that has been the industry standard since 2008 and our contract specifications, which was introduced earlier this year. Using these two services, we're, we're working with our subscribers to ensure the static is in line with what they're expecting We're producing ad hoc test files for our clients to run through their compliance systems, and we're leveraging our contract specification service to assist in identifying economically equivalent products. FIA Tech's position limits data bank, which Andrew had touched on briefly there a second ago, has really been the industry standard for position limits data and just monitoring and utilize across the industry. Historically, however, this has really only covered listed derivatives product. And as we talked about the kind of basic contract specifications that we've also since rolled out, we are leveraging that reference data information in the basic contract specs to help users identify the factors that will be needed for determining economic equivalence, right? So anything that end users will need to take that kind of comprehensive approach as far as understanding the swaps that may be economically equivalent while also utilizing the data feed that they are today in order to tie in any economically equivalent swap positions into their listed components as far as that kind of whole picture for limits compliance. We're kind of taking all those considerations into our approach and making sure that subscribers really have the most in-depth information to make all determinations and monitoring for these across the board. 
Fantastic. Thank you, Andrew and Justin, for explaining that. For our listeners, we will have more information about DataBank in our show notes page if you want to find more information about that service. So my final question for both of you is if there's any particular piece of advice or a takeaway that you would leave our audience with as they work to comply with these new rules. Justin, starting with you, what would you give our audience in terms of advice? Yeah, I think the biggest piece of advice I can give to the audience here is to really keep channels of communication open, not only with their compliance teams internally, but even externally with the commission. If there's something that folks would like to kind of run by them or kind of vet, I think the team there has been pretty open to taking in those inquiries and kind of, you know, understanding industry needs as a whole and addressing those accordingly, right? I think it's also important to understand that there is that what we refer to as kind of a best effort basis, right? As far as that economic equivalence is concerned. So even at the end of the day, if the commission does not uh, really agree if that determination is or is not deemed economically equivalent, they do give uh, a window there to help folks kind of wind down, even if that's not the case. So with those proper channels in place, if, if there is that kind of approach that's being taken as far as uh, having procedures in place to make that determination of economic equivalence. I think working, again, both internally with the compliance folks within your firm, as well as with the commission will really set people up nicely as far as being prepared to take on this this new regulation. Okay, perfect. Thank you, Justin. Yeah, so procedures in place and have that kind of communication channel open, it sounds both internally and externally to prepare. Now, Andrew, what about you? What piece of advice would you give our listeners as they're working to prepare for these new rules? Well, echoing Justin, communication is key, but outside of communication, like I said, through the challenges, the scope and the program and your approach are my biggest factors, right? So understanding what products are in scope, having the appropriate program in place, whether you're using FIA tax position limits today or another vendor, just ensuring that that third party is aware of the change that is coming up and has a plan of action when these do go into effect. And then the approach is, because of the CFTC being so broad and not being defined exactly of what products will and will not be in scope is have a standardized approach. What products are you going to be looked at? What are the underlying attributes that make them economically equivalent? Once you have that approach and hopefully the CFTC gets more in depth and defines what their rules are, you at least have this way of identifying these products going forward. Fantastic. And I think really my takeaway from everything that we've discussed today is, although this is the second phase of these rules, there is quite a lot of change and work that needs to be done in order to prepare for January 2023. And the foundation really needs to be established from a procedural perspective and a communication perspective to enable compliance to happen in a timely manner. So with that, I would really like to thank both of you, Andrew and Justin from FIA Tech for sharing your expert insight with us on this topic. Thank you, Julia. Thanks, Julia. Much appreciated. And listeners, as I said before, if you want to learn more about this topic, we will include some very useful links and resources in the podcast show notes page. So please go to DerivSource.com for more information there, and you'll see other content that will be featured this summer as part of our regulation editorial series. Otherwise, listeners, thank you for tuning in today and join us next time.